You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah youths. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we have Dan Sorensen from UteZone.com. The Utes lay the smackdown on the Arizona Wildcats, and we look forward to the Trojans coming into Rice-Eccles Stadium. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And we got Scott. I'm ready to go. A little slow, little <laughs> slow clap from slow Scott clap. to start the Let's show. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> All right, before we jump into the episode, we're going to let you know that we're brought to you by our great sponsor with Lyft. So I took Lyft last Friday to get to the U. It worked out perfect. I left work, got in the Lyft, went, took me right up to tailgating. They have a drop-off at the stadium. It really is the easiest way to get around town. Now, Lyft is rapidly becoming the go-to choice for Utahns needing a safe and convenient way of getting to where they need to go. As I said, I used it this last Friday for the Arizona game, and it was perfect. Due to the popularity, Lyft is in need of drivers. So Lyft is actually currently offering our listeners of the Utah Man podcast a bonus of $300 when they sign up using our exclusive code UtahManPod. That's Utahman and P-O-D, just one word, UtahManPod. Signing up is only a few minutes. You just download the Lyft driver app, put in our code UtahManPod, and get ready to drive. If you're looking for an easy and flexible way to make a little extra cash, because I know Scott's always looking for extra cash, Driving for Lyft is the way to go. Sign up today and don't forget to use our code UtahManPod. That's UtahManPod to collect your bonus. So joining on this phone now is Dan Swenson from UteZone.com and UteZone Radio on ESPN 700. Dan, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Hey, Utah got a big win. We can't complain, right? Life is good in, U- <laughs> in Uteville right now. Yeah, for the time being, hopefully they can carry it on. <laughs> <laughs> you put up an article this past weekend, I think you do it every weekend, uh, up on Ute Zone that you write and you give a letter grade uh, for each position um, from the Utah team. This past weekend, you gave the Utah offense an A. Do you think that that's something that can be sustainable, or are we kind of seeing a flash in the pan right now with that offense? Well, when you look at what's been happening in, in the last three games, you know, I think that there is a lot of reason for optimism. And, you know, obviously, you know, Washington State, they only put 28 points on the board, uh, which uh, or was it 24 points. That's uh, should have been 28. Um, they put 24 points on the board, which, you know, what did, wasn't enough to get it done. But, you know, that first half of that Washington State game, you know, there were three touchdown drives. The second half of the game, you know, there was a scoring drive. Uh, the first uh, on the first possession that they had, and frankly, you know, had the trick play worked and it was dialed up perfectly, and had it been executed perfectly, you know, there would have been you know four touchdowns in in, in the game, and then things kind of you know went off the rails for various reasons in that game. But you know that that game, you know, it looked like they were starting to turn the corner just a little bit, and then you you look into the Stanford game where they really started to turn it on. You could see that. They had found their identity. They were running the football. They were being uh, opportunistic in the throw game. And, and Tyler Huntley was being 
more he was being a little bit more accurate, but, but even more importantly, his receivers were making plays for him. And then, of course, you saw what happened in in the uh, Arizona game. And so you those three consecutive games where you know they've had played well in spots where they've been able to build upon what they had done the prior week. I, I think that that should give fans a lot of optimism and what they're able to do in the future. And you know, granted, you know, Stanford. Not the defense in the Pac-12, they're in the bottom half. Arizona is certainly in the bottom half. I think they, they might have the worst defense in the Pac-12. Uh, but, you know, USC is rolling into town on Saturday, and, you know, they've, they're in the bottom half of, in terms of, you know, defensive statistics in the, in the Pac-12, and, and they're missing a bunch of guys. They've got a lot of guys to be out or banged up uh, that, you know, might or might not play. And so, you know, I think that there's opportunity for this Utah team to do the exact same thing that they've done the last couple of weeks, run the football, and USC is not a very good run defense, and, you know, be opportunistic in the, in the throw game and try to take some shots down the field. And, and so, you know, every game that I look at that schedule, you know, I, I think that, you know, this offense should be able to move the football on, on everybody with maybe the exception of Arizona State. But, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of reason for optimism when you look at this team from an offensive standpoint. When the season started, as we all know, Tyler Huntley got off to a fairly poor start. Obviously, a number of things played a factor in that. Receivers play calling him specifically. But with regards to Tyler specifically, what do you see has changed mainly in the last two and a half games for him? Well, really, you know, when you, when you look at Huntley... Um, and then there's the perception that he had a really, really poor start. And I don't think that that's quite fair. The only really bad game that he's had in terms of the full game has, was the, the Washington game. And that was just a, a rough, rough game for him. And, and frankly, you know, Washington's doing that to every quarterback that they face. Justin Herbert did not look all that good against Washington this last Saturday. So, you know, it's not a shameful thing to not perform well against that secondary. But, you know, he played fine in the Weaver State game. He had the interception that happened because he got hit, uh, you know, but he's taken a lot of flack for that. And Northern Illinois, you know, I think he put up, what, 280 yards passing, and it wasn't perfectly crisp. But once again, you know, he, he had drops in those games where the receivers weren't really helping him out. And then, you know, we saw him playing a little bit more within himself and, and and executing a little bit better, uh, you know, moving forward where he's got better numbers. And and really, so, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a fair thing to say that he had a, a really rough start, but it's it's the dominant narrative in, in the media fan base. And I, I think it's something that needs to be talked about. Now, the last couple of weeks that the Tyler Huntley that we've seen has been different. He's been a more confident Huntley. He's been uh, much better in his decision-making and his control of the offense. And really, this is the Tyler Huntley that we saw in fall camp when, you know, us at Utah and, frankly, every other media member that saw the youth practice where they were just raving about how the offense worked in the last two weeks are what we saw in fall camp that gave us so much optimism about what this football team could do and specifically what the offense could do. So with, with Huntley, you know, he's just, he's just playing with confidence. He's, you know, he's, he knows the scheme. He knows what the expectation is. I don't think that he feels like he needs to shoulder the load. That's definitely on Zach Moss. Uh, and I think that now that his receivers are, you know, they've stopped letting him down on a consistent basis, you know, he feels like he, he can go to more places. He can trust more guys to go to them, and they're going to make plays. And he's done that, and it's paid off for him. 
And so, you know, the, the development of him and his progression over the season has been nice to see. But, uh, you know, as, as long as he isn't trying to do everything himself, I think he's going to be everything that the Utah coaches are asking him to be. Dan, you mentioned confidence, you know, Huntley playing with confidence. You're seeing this entire team in all three phases of the game playing with a lot more confidence over these last two to three games. We look forward to come Saturday, JT Daniels and USC comes to town. JT Daniels is pretty prolific through the air, especially uh, attacking um, a secondary, throwing the ball down the field. They've had a, a good amount of success. Looking at Utah's defense, the secondary seems to be maybe the spot that's uh, being challenged a little bit right now, and and uh, maybe not, I wouldn't say a weakness, but definitely giving up a little bit. What's your opinion for this Saturday? What is the what is the secondary going to have to do to slow down uh, J T. Daniels? Well, the secondary is being challenged because nobody can run the football on the youth. I mean, that's yeah. really what it is. And, and you know, the, it's, they're, they're the number one rush defense in the Pac-12. They're the number two rush defense in all of college football. I mean, nobody is running the football on the youth. And so, uh, you know, that, that's why we're saying, especially, you know, the, and the last couple of weeks, I think we've seen more passing numbers than you normally would have because, you know, that they've gotten up so big that teams, you know, are in a, desperate attempt to come back and so they're just trying to air it out you know when you look at this utah secondary it's the most talented secondary i've personally ever seen in my you know and i've been covering the team for almost 15 years at this point and and certainly i've been watching them since the mid 80s and by far the most talented from a personnel perspective and yeah guys are getting beat you know or guys are getting penalties i know that there are some in the fan base that get frustrated with that and and certainly you know there's some adjustments that need to be made in, in on that front especially on the penalty front they're just being too aggressive and you know a lot of these penalties i don't even agree with them but you know uh, you, you can't put it in the hands of a pac-12 official to to make the right decision so you got to be you have to make the adjustments um but from a secondary standpoint you know they've, they've got their their work cut out for them this saturday you know usc is usc and they've they've got uh, you know, some, some absolute terrors that are going to be, you know, lining up against them. You know, the St. Brown kid is phenomenal. Um, you know, the, they've got, you know, every receiver that they've got is a four or five star kid coming out of high school and has a lot of talent. Uh, they've got a lot of NFL potential on that line. JT Daniels, you know, yes, he's a true freshman, but, you know, he's, you know, got six games started under his belt so it shouldn't be the same thing as if he started the first game ever you know he's been on the road he's he's been in tough situations i i think that when when you look at the usc passing game and what they're going to try to accomplish and how utah counters that the best thing that utah can do is to make daniels uncomfortable because if you make him uncomfortable he will make mistakes he will throw interceptions he will give opportunities for your defensive backs to make plays on the ball. And, you know, he's going to complete a couple long passes, so you fans should just expect it. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to pitch a shutout. You know, Jalen Johnson or Julian Blackman, they're both excellent cornerbacks. They're both NFL-caliber cornerbacks, and both of them are going to get beat on Saturday. Just, it's what happens. It's, it's, it's what happens with cornerbacks. But I, I do think that there are going to be opportunities to make plays. Morgan Scally is going to dial up some things and try to confuse Daniels. He's going to try to bring pressure from different places and make him uncomfortable and not let him sit in the pocket and and gather his feet and make those big throws because if you allow him to do that, 
he's got enough natural ability that he'll be able to accomplish just that, and he's going to torch you. But, um, you know, he's he's a good quarterback. He's not the end-all quarter, quarterbacks. He's certainly not the best quarterback Utah is going to face this year. And uh, so, you know, I don't necessarily expect him to do some of the types of things that, uh, say, a Gardner Minshew for Washington State did against the Utah State, or even um, – even, uh, uh, Costello for Stanford. I, I think that both of those guys are better quarterbacks right now than JT Daniels. And so I think that, you know, Utah, if they can make USC one dimensional, even with the athletes that they've got on the outside, uh, I really like Utah's chances because I think that they've got enough talent in the secondary that they're going to match up nicely and they're going to make a few plays of their own, which should be enough to put them over the top. Hey, Dan, one thing that, you know, Ute Zone does a great job at is covering recruiting. This game every year with, with USC, it seems like a lot of the Southern California guys on the team really look forward to it. They they really get pumped up for it to kind of play for that team that was in their backyard growing up. As far as recruiting, in your opinion, does this game have any bearing in recruiting as what and what Utah can do in Southern California? Yes and no. Um, you know, most kids, when they're looking at their recruitment, they very rarely will take a single game and the results of that game uh, and, and and use that to weigh heavily in, in their decision. There, there's a lot of other things that come into play. They're going to, you know, they're going to look at the relationship with the coaching staff. They're going to look at, you know, the playing time opportunities, how they fit into the scheme, you know, those types of things as well. And so, you know, most kids don't, you know, you know, they're not going to be like, you know, if, if you probably beat USC, I'm definitely picking Utah over USC. That I, you're just not going to see that sort of thing. That said, the fact that Utah beating USC and Utah beating USC on a consistent basis gives the Utah coaches uh, some credibility when they're going down into Southern California and that, you know, they're knocking on, you know, the kid's door and saying, Hey, you know, we're an elite defense or, you know, we're an up and coming offense. And, you know, this is what we did to USC or we've beaten USC three of the last five years or, you know, or whatever, you know, they want to be able to, to go in and say that because USC is the big deal name brand. And so if they can show consistent success, against that program and to a lesser extent UCLA, you know, that's very helpful. I do know that there are a couple of recruits where Utah coaches have gone in this year and said, look, when we play USC, you know, watch that game because we're playing for you. And if we win that game, we want it for you because we want you to play with us. So that's just how confident they are in how good the team is going to be this year. But, um, but by and large, you know, it's helpful when they win. Uh, a loss is not the end of the world. Since joining the conference, the Utes are two and five against USC. Those two wins coming the last two trips here in Salt Lake City. So, give it. Give us your prediction. How do you see this? Uh, how do you see this game uh, folding out? I think Utah is going to win this football game, and I think they're going to win it probably by ten. Um, so like this it. USC team, the USC defense is not really good when it comes to stopping the run, which is Utah's identity. Um, their defense is banged up, especially they banged up on the defensive line and in the middle. And so I expect Utah to come out and hit them in the mouth and establish possession and run the football and be opportunistic in the passing game. Um, they're going to make plays on offense. The USC offense is, is they're starting to come into their own. 
Um, just like they had a really start, like Utah, they had a slow start. Now they're starting to come into their own, and Daniels is getting more comfortable. I do think that this is by far the best defense that USC has faced, and I think those two things uh, in combination, especially when you're considering they're coming up to Salt Lake City, it's cold, um, and, and and that's one of the things I noticed, you know, before the Arizona game, I was walking on the sidelines, and the Arizona players looked like they were cold, and I thought, oh boy, they played it's like be a long it night for them. Yeah, they played like they were cold. And if we if it's you know it's going to be a night game, it's going to be cold in Salt Lake City. Uh, the, the youths are much better on offense than they had been. They're the best defense the USC's played so far. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's going to be a recipe for a win. And so, you know, obviously, you know, Utah has to take care of business. They have to play their game. They have to stay disciplined and, and they have to fight through adversity because, you know, USC is going to give it their best shot. They know that everybody knows that this game is probably for, or whoever wins this game is going to be in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 South title. And so USC is going to come in with that mindset and they're going to be ready to play. But I do think Utah is going to win this. I think they're going to win it by 10. Hey, Dan, thanks again for, for jumping on. We really appreciate it. Uh, can you just let our listeners know where they can kind of find your stuff online and where they can find you on social media? Sure. So um, uh, on social media, you can find me on Twitter at D Sorensen. That's S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. Uh, on, online, you can read my stuff every day at eatzone.com, and we offer things that are for, you know, VIP subscribers. We also offer a lot of free content as well. In fact, we have pretty much a, a free story or three uh, every single day on the site. So, you know, there's lots of content, whether you're subscribing or not. There's no excuse to not visit the site and then read up on what's the latest and greatest of Utah football and basketball. Awesome. And again, if you're looking for the Kansas City Chiefs defensive player, don't, <laughs> don't tweet nasty things at Dan, all right? <laughs> Oh, by by all means, you, 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 if you want to call me the worst safety in the NFL, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Dan. Hey, thanks, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. All right, big thank you to Dan Sorensen for jumping on. And that interview is brought to you by our great sponsor with uh, Scott Omer with Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance so you can look Scott Omer up at Facebook at Scott Omer Farmers Insurance, on Twitter at Scott underscore Omer 8, or you can always give him a call at 801-307-4046. All right, so great stuff by Dan, really getting into this Utah team. The last couple weeks, Utah has started out great on offense. Who is this team? It's it's like we've we've jumped in a time time machine and we're back to Urban Meyer as our coach. It's just it's a it is a whole it's a whole new team and it's there's they've just brought so much excitement and I mean it's across the board all three phases of the game they've just they're playing so loose and you can tell they're having fun out there it's just a, it's fun to watch. But the strange thing is what what clicked what changed because those first three to really three and a half games all of us were just going. Same old Utah. Yeah, it was just it wasn't wasn't fun. They weren't having fun playing. You could see that, and the, obviously none of us were having <laughs> well, fun watching. If, them. if you remember, though, after the UW game, we kind of we joked that that was Kyle Whittingham's Utah UNLV game all over again, right? What happened after that Utah UNLV game? In what was that? They rattled off 
a number of wins over a couple of seasons. 2007, I believe, or somewhere in that range. But since Washington, granted, they had the bye week, and that first half against Washington State was awesome. Second half kind of, uh, you know, reverted back a little bit. But at Stanford, home to Arizona, and they just they just look like they're fire, firing on all cylinders. And it is. It's Cody Barton was on uh, ESPN 700 today, and he was asked that same question. And his response was, "There's just a there's a belief losing those two games for whatever reason." It he said it ga- it gave the team a belief and just more determination that they they went into that Stanford game as a must win. And that's really what this team has to do moving forward because you lose those first two games. All of the remaining games are essentially must-wins, and so they need to keep that mindset moving forward because it's worked It's worked like wonder over these last two games. Um, but, uh, yeah, a Utah team with an offense. Who would have thought? Winningham must have sacrificed some animal. KFC went through <laughs> all of their chicken. Where's Where's Dorn? <laughs> So one thing I want to get your guys' opinion on, and I threw it out to Dan, this Utah team, Winningham talked about how their execution on offense is, is a lot better. Do you feel that this is something that is changing on this team, something that they can continue on, or is it really just a fluke they got lucky the last couple games? Well, I think belief is huge. And if a team believes, there's... It's hard to kind of get them off that. It, it takes it takes a number of things, and, and uh, they're obviously believing in what they're doing right now because going into the season, they all thought they were going to be a pretty darn good team. We all thought they were going to be a pretty good uh, team, and it just didn't happen, and I think that brought the frustration. That probably brought some doubt to an extent, and all of a sudden, all their hard work over these last two and a half to three games is showing and that has just given them some confidence and a belief that they can go out and do exactly what they expected of themselves from the start of the season. So it's hard to predict, is this going to continue? I mean, every team to an extent has some lulls and and some ups and downs. I don't think you're just going to roll over the remaining, what, six to seven games of the season. There's going to be some ups and downs. But the question is, how how low do those downs get? Does it cost them a game along the way, or can some of those downs still come in some wins? I think you're absolutely right. The confidence thing is huge, and you can see that in the way they play, the way they carry themselves, uh, the way they execute. I mean, really, outside of one poor throw, which was the interception. He just got a little greedy. He just got a little greedy. He did, but everything he threw up there, was almost spot on. I mean, the one to the over the over the top to Simpkins was a spectacular throw and it's really a spectacular catch. The way he had to look back over it, basically directly over the top of him, and it came in and just dropped in his hands. And then then you throw in Covey dropping a dime to Huntley on the touchdown, and it's just it's almost like it's contagious. They they all know. Yeah, well, but they can do it. Well, I think it is contagious because what was contagious the early part of the season drops. <laughs> Everyone dropping the balls. Those were that's what was contagious early on, and it's they finally have kind of got they've got going. They've gotten past that, 
And now it's the positives that have been contagious, and they're just kind of the defense is feeding off. I mean, how how long has a Utah defense been waiting for an offense that can match their execution, that can match their build? And so I think this defense, as good as they were, even when the offense was struggling, it makes this defense even better now because they know they can take a few more chances. They can they can they can be a little bit more aggressive in certain situations to try and force a turnover, knowing if it goes poorly, this offense can score some points and it's not going to be the end of the world where in, in years past it has been. So I think that's huge. But overall, there's just there's a different sense and hopefully whatever this contagion is, it keeps going because um, it's it's really, I mean, watching that Arizona game, it looked like the guys were just out there having fun. And you couldn't say that for the first three or four weeks of the season. They did not look like they were having fun. They were pressing. There was just frustration. Um, but they, everybody across the board, and when each phase of the team is playing at a high level, it just keeps boosting each other to continue to play at that high level. Scott, I definitely agree, and that's something we talked about last week on the podcast was seeing Huntley smiling for the first time on the sidelines. And you look at this offense, and I think it is contagious what you're saying, because there's a lot of guys that the first couple weeks we haven't seen them really participate at all. Simpkins is getting involved. Nakua is getting involved. And guys that we were expecting. Simpkins, the, the, the best wide receiver in the country. <laughs> guys that we were expecting. He showed it the other night. Finally. That catch looked like it. <laughs> guys that we were expecting to, to contribute have been off the field not doing anything and then yeah the last two games they're starting to really come along and get this thing going now we just need someone like mariner to start getting going we need we i need even more guys Did he, get in the game? He, he, he didn't play he's he was uh, and, and he's questionable for this game i, I believe it's due to that uh, uh helmet to helmet hit oh. um against stanford so he didn't play bronson boyd played um solomon enos played but uh not not many targets for either of those guys and then we're gonna have to see if brian thompson actually makes it back out this uh out this season or not you you've you've got weapons there and you've got guys stepping up and you still have other guys that are capable of stepping up and so there's a lot of weapons it really comes down just the depth of this team is something we haven't seen and we're we're starting to kind of see the dividends of that Defensively, I mean, you look at a guy, we lose Mika Tufua, who, who goes out injured, and, and who steps in his place? And, and Max Tupai, Tupai, I don't know how to pronounce it. He, he, I'll call him whatever he wants me to call him, is, assuming he continues to play like he is. I bet he wants you to call him. I bet you he does. I'll text you. No, but honestly, I mean, he has been a beast these last two games. Obviously, highly recruited, was somebody who came in really with a lot of expectations and for two seasons has been just almost non-existent. Kyle's, Kyle's mentioned how the light has come on, and he, is, he has been a beast on the other side of that line next to Bradley and yeah, I. Yeah, he really has. And, and once you get Mika back, I mean, the depth... The depth of this defensive line and what they're doing is absolutely ridiculous. You look at an Arizona team. They are known for running. They run the ball. 
With their third-string quarterback, they threw the ball 46 times because they couldn't run it. It wasn't even an option. They had to do anything besides run the ball. This defensive line, they're getting after the quarterback. Obviously, there's some ebb and flow in that, but what they're doing in the run game is is incredible at the moment. And you know things are going well when a guy like Caleb Rep is playing both sides of the ball. I mean, he got a sack late in the game. He's getting targeted at tight end. He was Hot Rod Hunley's subway sub of the game. <laughs> so far, we've kind of have brought up a lot of different guys um, that stepped up. And, and one player in particular we haven't really talked too much about, Tyler Huntley. He was 14 of 19, 200 yards, two touchdowns. By far, probably the best game he's looked all season and he could have probably even had more, but he, you know, sat out the whole fourth quarter. Yet we ran up the score. <laughs> Thanks, I, Arizona fans. I'm hoping that ty- this is the Tyler we see the rest of the year. You know, obviously he's not going to be perfect every single game, and different defenses are going to give him, you know, different troubles. But I think the thing that wor- kind of worries me out with Huntley is he has a good game, and then he has a bad game, and then he has a good game and a bad game. To get him consistent, it, I think a lot of that relies on Troy Taylor and him calling an offense and putting Tyler in in spots to be successful, like he's done the last couple games. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say, I think that's I think that's the change you're seeing is is over these last I would even say three games, Utah has run a, an offense and they've stayed consistent with their approach that has allowed Tyler to be consistent. They're not asking him to throw the ball 40, 40 times a game. He had 19 attempts. The week before that, I believe he had 20, 22 attempts. But he's he's averaging over these last three games roughly that same amount. So they're not they're not putting too much on his plate and saying, "Hey, you got to go complete, you know, 25 of 40 passes." Um they're just asking him to do enough through the passing game and and through that passing game because of how effective they're running the ball and how much they're running the ball, I think it's allowing those passing lanes to open up and the wide receivers to have a little bit more room to operate, which is just making the offense in general just more effective. And I think they're also using the run game, uh, or they're using the pass game off of the run game. Oh, yeah. And I, it's, it's, I mean, how, there's a lot of great flow and rhythm to the offense right now. How many times are we... Lining up in a bunch formation. I mean, we look like we're running the wing T out there. <laughs> Very rarely are we spreading it out four, five wide receivers across the field. I mean, uh, the 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 pass play to Simpkins for the touchdown. There were two wide receivers in in uh, in the in routes. Everybody was everybody else was staying home and protecting. Two wide receivers. Five defensive backs were on the field for Arizona on that throw, and he was wide open. Well, and I think I turned to both of you and said something during the game. There was one early on in the game. It was uh, second and 13, I believe, for us, and they had that bunch for Mason. I think Enos was the only receiver on the field. They had two or three tight ends and a running back, and they just ran a, a short hitch right up the middle and picked up the first down, and that's in, that's a lot different personnel than I think we're used to seeing. A lot different play calling than I think we're seeing used to seeing. But I wonder, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago after the Washington game, what 
or there were some rumors going around that uh, Harding was going to get more involved in the play calling. And obviously, we're not going to sit here and we we can't say we don't know what's going on. But ever since that rumors come out, the play calling has been different. It has. It has been different. They they've changed. They've they focused on that run game, but they're building off of that run game. But they're they're running the ball out of a lot more formations and and they're just doing a lot more and and part of that is based off of what your offensive line is providing currently. It's night and day difference from what we saw early on. Their pass protection's better, but they are mauling guys. They are owning the line of scrimmage, which is allowing us when the defense knows we're going to run the ball, that's that's why we're still getting positive yardage on each and every attempt. Because these guys are they're getting to the second level and they are they are being they are just effective at the moment. They're creating a number of holes for these wide receivers or excuse me, the running backs to, to run. Well that's pretty evident that coaches have confidence in them too, because there were at least two fourth down calls, plays in that game where uh they kept you know, kept the Tri- offense on the field yeah. and and fourth and one, fourth and two and they said, you guys go get it. And they, and they did. Both times ended up in touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, they ended the game three for three on fourth downs, one of those being the controversial fake pump. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they just line up and they just, go get, they just go get it. And, I mean, that's what Whittingham wants, right? He, he wants a, a team that runs the ball. He wants a physical presence. And, and that's what you're getting with this team. I'm not a big O-line guy. You know, I don't. I don't like to necessarily just watch the O line. There were a number of times Friday night. Just I was just watching the O line, what they were doing, and they were just blowing guys up. They owned that uh, Arizona defensive line, and uh, obviously, week to week, that's going to be the key, because you know we're we've really only kind of focused on this offense for three weeks now. There's more and more tape on it. So there's going to be you're going to see a USC team who's who's got a pretty good defense. They're banged up, but they've got a, a still a pretty good defense. You're going to see them make some adjustments and try and force Tyler Huntley to throw the ball more, and not so they're not as effective running the ball. And and that's where I think the key is going to be for this offense moving forward. If a team can stop the run, and you're forced to throw the ball more than 19, 20 times a game. Can this offense still be as potent as it has been? And and that's a great thought. Uh, and especially, I, I just want to point out, uh, Winningham was asked about the offense uh, on his Monday press conference. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me is he said, we're not asking Tyler to do a three-step drop-back passer. And so back to your point, Ryan, did Harding come in and do some changes? Probably that's what an offensive staff offensive staff does. To your point, Scott, what will the offense do now that they've set their identity? And if teams start taking that away, what's their counter to get past that? Yeah, and 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 to an extent, that's coming. At some point, you're not gonna have you're gonna have a game where you struggle to run the ball, and that's whether they're that's because the other defensive line is really good or they're stacking the box. And they're just going to take that away and force you to throw the ball. But it is coming, whether it's this week or the week after. 
it is coming. And so that's, that's going to be a key to see if Tyler can maintain that efficiency through the passing game with more attempts. So it is great to see the offense continuing to take steps forward to be more of a dynamic uh, part of the ball. The defense has dominated that game. Only gave up well, 10 front points. I, I think he, the whole defense... I mean, oh, you're right. Overall, I mean, they ten points, only give up 10 points. They give up 10 points, and those 10 points are pretty much just courtesy points at that point. I mean, they're garbage. But giving up 10 points to a Pac-12 team... No, it's it's, it's impressive. I mean, you got to realize Arizona's a dumpster fire, and they were on their third-string quarterback. But at the end of the day, they were on their third-string quarterback partly because of Utah's <laughs> defense. I mean, from an efficiency standpoint, yeah, it was all around overall great defensive performance. So a lot of key things stand out. Uh, Utah defense held Arizona six of eighteen on third down. That's remarkable. Fourth down, one of five. Why were they going for it so often? That's what I couldn't figure out. I mean, I know you're down, so that you got to be somewhat aggressive. But uh, they held Arizona two yards of three hundred eighteen. I think a a lot of that came in the fourth quarter. Uh, Winningham said in his Monday press conference they kind of called off the dogs a little bit in in, in the fourth quarter. You, we saw a lot of Jason Shears, second, third string guys. In that fourth quarter, explain calling off the dogs. Because Mitch Wishnowski doesn't agree. <laughs> that was a firestorm on Twitter. It was awesome. Oh my goodness! There is nothing. There is nothing like an upset, bitter Arizona fan. They or a Jason Shear. Jason Shear. Oh my goodness! But they're obviously you know you can't lump them all and there's some good arizona fans that are pretty logical and pretty understanding and and not don't fall into this category but as a whole it seems like arizona has the the most weirdos in this conference (laughs) agreed they're a bizarre bunch they are a bizarre bunch how do you get to the point where you're you're saying we're running up to score we scored 14 second-half points. Is it even possible to run up a score with 14 points? I don't care if you're running up the score. You got to stop it. You're, you're playing big boy football. Well, this isn't peewee. Yeah. If you don't like it, stop it. Start name-calling on Twitter to players and coaches because you're... Your team's defense can't stop anybody. And, and, and they were upset with the, with the double pass by Covey. Which was literally the first series of the second half. I don't care that you're up 28 nothing at that point. It's the first series of the second half. Nut up and play some football, boys. Dude, that fan base is softer than Charmin. <laughs> There's so many blue hairs. It just is ridiculous. It's not our problem. Your team is awful. Scott bringing the heat. I like it. So the defense, one area of concern is the secondary uh, Rhett Rodriguez comes in and throws 226 yards. It, it looks like Rhett Rodriguez was pulled out of the muss. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I'll give him, I'll give him credit. I mean, he did complete 24 passes, so that's impressive. But we were playing way too soft defensively. Our secondary was giving those guys way too much room. And outside of the one deep ball that they ended up scoring the touchdown, they just kept running these little comebacks. 
and you know we're we're ten yards off, and they just keep completing them until until they get into the red zone. You know, so I, I don't know how much of that is our secondary just just not being effective or the scheme that we were playing. But we've kind of seen that the last couple games, the secondary giving up a lot of pass plays and a lot of big pass plays. And USC likes to go downfield a lot with JT Daniels. He likes to hit the home run ball. They're 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 effective at it. They they throw the ball more than uh, any team that we play to this point, um, as far as deep. Washington State, obviously, they throw the ball all over the field, but they they didn't attack deep all that often. But when they did, they they hurt us, and so that's that's going to be, in my opinion, the key of this game is how Blackman can bounce back and Jalen Johnson to an extent, um, because those guys are going to get tested over and over. And as Dan Sorensen said, they're going to get beat. This isn't the NFL. The, the, these guys are going to give up some plays, but the question is. What plays are you giving up? Are you giving up a 15-yard penalty, or are you giving up a 60-yard bomb for a touchdown? Obviously, both corners have been picked on a little bit, but Jay, Jalen Johnson, I think, for the most part, has done a he's done a pretty good job, but it seems like Blackman is struggling. They, they picked on him, I think, a little bit more. He had three holding calls. Yeah, he he it was not his his best game, and and he struggled to an extent against Washington State and Stanford, and so he's not had the best stretch. And whether he's just not a hundred percent healthy at the moment, which is playing a factor in it, or if some of that is being what is being taught as far as how they cover, because you're seeing that they're they're physical. Jalen and Blackman um, are physical on the edges, and they're they're not afraid to put their hands on these guys, and they've been caught with their hands in the cookie jar a few too many times. But but would you rather have a 15 yard penalty or rather have a 60 yard bomb? So that's that's where you got to judge what's more important. But I touched a little bit on this last weekend. I think with the the schemes that Scally's running, he's uh, he's bringing pressures up front from different from different areas but and obviously leaving man coverage on the on the wide receivers but i think they're playing a type of coverage that doesn't allow them to get beat over the top as much so they're playing off so they can come back and make the tackle which gives up you know a lot of completions yeah that's why you're getting those completions underneath yeah and they and they seem to tighten up when they get down closer to the end zone because they're not giving up a lot of scores because their efficiency is high. So maybe that is what they're being coached to do. But it, when you when you're coming up to a a team like USC who throws the ball down the field a lot, it it makes you a little nervous about what could happen. Well, and and it makes you wonder what what will the game plan be against against USC what what will Scally Whittingham and and Anderson come up with will we see the circus defense will Anderson win the day and get to play a little circus defense out there well I think you have the ability to throw in a lot of things at him because he's a young guy he's young He, he like Dan said in his interview he hasn't seen he's a good quarterback and has the potential probably to be a very good quarterback but he's hot and cold but he hasn't seen a lot he's He's a freshman, an 18-year-old freshman. Well, and and he's going to come into probably the most hostile environment. Rice Eccles will be, and not, it, it better not be, it will be crazy. 
Oh yeah, it will a be. night game against USC. It is gonna be it. It is gonna be an awesome environment. It's gonna be loud in there, and if this is where you know you talk about, do you want to play a cover two? Do you want to have two safeties deep to try and avoid the deep ball and have coverage over the top? But in doing so, you're you're kind of eliminating what you can do through the blitz game and bring pressure to put on JT Daniels because that's the other aspect. When Rhett, uh, when Rhett Richrod, Rhett Richrod <laughs> had all day back there, he was completing passes. A guy who was born out of the seed of Richrod had success throwing the ball because he had all day. So if you give JT Daniels all day to throw the ball, he will find guys, especially as athletic and as good as the wide receivers that USC has. You cannot give him all day. You have got to get in his face. You've got to make him uncomfortable. But it's kind of like what we learned against Washington State. You can't go and put pressure on him and then forget about it for a quarter and a half. You have to put pressure on him consistently so he doesn't get into that groove and and start killing you. It's very un, un-Whittingham-like and really un-Scally-like to play a cover two defense. They're really playing the single safety over the top and bringing pressure from different places. And I think I think that's probably what we'll see. I think you'll see a lot of disguises. I say confuse. we blitz guys from the from the sideline. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Colorado did and they got away with it. <laughs> All right, so I think that will do it for the our recap of the Arizona game. And again, it, it's great to see Utah continue to to make steps week after week. So before we go into the USC game, we do want to let you know of a special deal that we're having with Lyft. Do you need some extra cash for the upcoming holidays? Do you have tuition or just everyday expenses? You should consider driving for Lyft. For a short time only, Lyft is offering our exclusive listeners a bonus of $300. When they sign up to drive using the code UTAHMANPOD, that's UTAHMANPOD, P-O-D, just one word, Signing up is fast and easy. Just download the app, put in the code UTAHMANPOD. So we have been talking about USC. They're coming in to Rice-Eccles Stadium on a Saturday night. JT Daniels is obviously the story coming in. A young freshman quarterback should be in high school right now. And a young mustache. USC really has gone as JT Daniels has gone. They didn't start off the season all that great, but they have won three in a row wins against Washington State, Arizona, and then they did beat Colorado this last week, 31-20. to So even though USC does like to go with the home run ball uh, with Daniels, you know they do run the ball. Like you said, Scott, they're not like Washington State where they're going to throw the ball all over. They are averaging 126 yards on the ground with their leading rusher where he's a pretty good back. I do you guys think that this defensive line can contain that rushing offense? Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not overly concerned with uh, their running game. Obviously, you know, in years past, they've had some pretty prolific running backs that can just scare you to death because at any moment they can, you know, they get that home run ball and they're gone. But you know, I, I, in the little again, I, I've only watched a couple of, of of USC games so far. So going off of what I've seen. I'm honestly not too concerned with what they're going to do with the running game, especially going up against our D-line and how well our front seven have been playing the run. 
to me, they're really they're dangerous. Again, we've already spoken about it. It's just through that through the passing game, because if you look at them, they're right now they're average just over twenty five points a game, which is ninth in the conference. That's nothing spectacular, and a lot of a lot of their points have come through the deep ball. So they're going to have some success. The question is, you just you just can't allow it to continually get get beat by that because then uh, that that could be troublesome. But uh, you know they're not the type of offense that consistently can go and drive eighty yards over eight to ten plays consistently. They 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 have a lot of their success by getting those big chunk plays through the through the passing game, and then from there. Their their running backs um, and their running game is is good enough to 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 get uh, to get the yardage needed and to get into the end zone. But their offense runs through the big play, and so it's going to come down to that the D line really just putting pressure on and and keeping uh, J T Daniels uncomfortable. So the thing that stands out to me about USC it's really. Their penalties. They are ranked 126 out of 129 programs currently, averaging 91 penalty yards a game. Well, wow, I thought I thought we were bad. It, it, and I, I threw I threw out a stat because they're actually worse than us, penalty wise. They're averaging more for more penalties, more yardage per game currently. You know, the, wh- whoever the officials are going to be for this uh, for this game, they're going to have a workout because there's going to be holding calls all over the place. There's going to be PIs. Fans are going to get targeting calls. It's going to be a disaster. But really, a lot of those penalties are have been drive killers for USC. And, I mean, we've seen it ourselves. A penalty, a, a holding penalty comes, and it just derails a drive for for that offense. And so I think that's partly why their offense has just not been as as prolific as maybe what we've expected over or what we've come to expect over the years from a USC type team. Is they're just not as disciplined, and uh, it, it may very well come down to who is <laughs> who screws up the least amount <laughs> when it comes to penalties in this game as funny as that sounds because both these teams are flag happy I mean obviously obviously this game is huge just because of kind of the maybe the the building of the rivalry you know between Utah and USC and not, not calling it an official rivalry but it, it is a big game each and every year and and not just for fan bases but really It'll help decide the South. I mean, you look at it, and it's it, it's it's insane the schedule that USC has this year versus our schedule, and the just the benefit that it gives them right off the bat. Because at this point, even if Utah beats SC on Saturday, that will give them two losses in conference. But if you look at their remaining games, they've got home to Arizona State, they're at Oregon State, home to Cal. And then they finish up with at UCLA, so really, most likely they're going to win out. Even even if they aren't aren't that good, they're going to win out. The only the only game that maybe has a potential loss if UCLA continues to to improve, that could be a potential loss. But so if Utah wins, you're you're really not allowed another stumble the rest of the way, which which makes it tough. I mean, that makes this this game a must win. Well, but it really makes each week a must-win. Yeah, which becomes very difficult when we're on the road at ASU and home against Oregon. 
who well even even on the road against Colorado that I mean you, Utah has stumbled in those types of games in the past and granted it, it's kind of hard to to say Utah stumbled at Washington State because they're on the road against a top 25 team but that was a game you had to win and with the disparity in the in the schedules between Utah and USC currently you, you just you're just not a afforded those types of losses you just can't have them and, and still have a shot so you really it's crazy we think okay this usc is a must win to win the south but then the week after the week after that the week after that they're all must wins because you you lose one and it's probably gone and i think that's why you know you heard covey say after the last game you can't you can't just go say that the rest of the season is a must win you've got to take it a game game at a time which is obviously a sports cliche that you hear quite a bit, but I think they understand. I mean, these guys, the players know what's what's at stake, what's ahead of them. But at the same time, look at the opportunity of this. If Utah can go get this, say they do win out. I mean, that's... They got that's, an opportunity. That's uh, to, against the schedule they've had and to to do it... A, in that fashion, would would say a lot about where the program is. Well, well, what is your guys' confidence level that this team can win out? Two weeks ago, I said, not a chance. But after watching the last two games, the likelihood of it happening is probably slim. But what's your confidence level? I have no confidence that they can run the table. None. It's Pac-12. It's it's hard. Injuries happen. Every game's a tough game for, for Utah here and, on out. And really, November's still out there. Jeez, aren't you guys just raising <laughs> Well, where do you have them, Scott? I, I think they got a shot. Obviously, this is the, the SC's the key. You lose SC, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you're done. You have no shot at winning the South, and you're, 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 at that point, you're hoping for a decent bowl. But, you really are kind of in BYU's situation. You got you don't have much to play for at that point because it is done if you lose to USC. But the problem is you then travel to UCLA. Absolute must win. Arizona State, absolute must win. Oregon and Colorado, you have to win out to give yourself a shot unless USC stumbles one more time. It could happen. It could definitely happen. What if JT Daniels goes down? Who knows what happens, but... It would be it would be awfully difficult, but surprisingly, me of all people, I think they got a pretty good shot. The way they're playing, I th- I think they could do it. This is coming from Debbie Downer over <laughs> here. Scott, you say it's a must win because uh, USC probably won't stumble along the way, but it, it it's key to get that tiebreaker. And it, see, last couple oh, yeah. last couple seasons. Really, those tiebreakers have come into play uh, for the the South Division. Well, it's huge because let's say if USC wins, we've got three losses. So then you they have to have and they have to end the season with four in order for you to to uh, to still win the South. That's not happening. They're not losing. They're not losing three out of their last four games. So it's it's over. Mathematically, is it? It's not over, but it's over if you don't win this game come Saturday. So a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on the Utes, but the way it looks, this team is playing better with their backs against the wall. So as far as I'm concerned, keep that pressure on. So before we give our predictions of the Utah-USC game, let's go ahead and hit our Pac-12 and under 12, and that's brought to you 
by Doubletree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City at 110 West, 600 South. You can call them up at 801-359-7800. So before we hit the Pac-12 games of this past week, I kind of want to talk about the controversy within the Pac-12. Yahoo Sports released a report that during the USC-Washington State game, when there was a lot of controversial calls, a third party, an executive within the Pac-12, overruled the officials on the field and the officials in the replay center. Larry Scott really dodged this question, and frankly, it's it's disturbing from my point of view. It's ridiculous. He needs to go. They need to clean house. They've had problems not even with the direct TV stuff, but in-house problems in the past. Things aren't getting corrected. The only way to do that is just to clean house. Well, I will say their PR is is earning their pay at the moment. His response being that the in, this executive did not understand. He he voiced an opinion, and it did not expect that to change the opinion of the uh, of the replay referees, who are the trained officials. We use that term loosely, but it's it's pretty crazy how that died died everything down. The storm is over all of a sudden, just based off of that explanation, which really doesn't solve anything. Oh, I hope it's not over. I hope the presidents of the universities do some type of investigation because this it in something to that magnitude is it just ruins the integrity of the game. And how come nobody asked the question why Woody Dixon was in? that role why why he had any say or input in a refereeing decision anyway you guys don't need to worry about this it's been taken care of he's no longer allowed near the room anymore okay it's a moot point it's done no it's ridiculous it's for years they've been kind of masquerading behind this idea that their referees are incompetent no it's just a cover for the f- corruption that's taking place Behind the scenes to protect the brand names, the UWs, you know, one could argue USC or not, they, they actually have been uh, not uh, assisted in a, in a multitude of ways. But, you know, it's, it's ridiculous what's been going on. And there's, there's, no, there's no accountability within, uh, within this leadership group of the conference. And there's no consistency in what rules are how they're interpreted, how they're how they're called in games, it literally changes week to week. As a result, we are a laughing stock of college football. There was a story that aired shortly after this all happened quoting other commissioners from or coaches from other from other leagues around the the country anonymously commenting on uh, and how how astonished they were that this type of these these types of things were happening. It's we are you're right the laughing stock of no longer are we the conference of champions the conference of clowns well and let's let's be honest there's not a conference out there that's clean there's stuff going on in every conference they're you know yes are they favoring teams for money purposes to try and get certain teams into bowl games or playoffs or anything like that it's happening everywhere the problem is we're the ones getting caught and we're the ones that up to this point, have had a number of falls that have been public falls. It just leaves us vulnerable for everybody just to realize that we're a joke. And so what you're saying is we're just not really good at no, cheating. No, we're just, it's not. Larry Scott is just, he's just not a good commissioner. He's not. 
these targeting calls that come out of the blue, ones that are blatantly obvious, are being completely neglected and not even not even reviewed. And it really depends on what what color jersey you're wearing and what position you're in. It's just it's it's pretty ridiculous to see what's going on, and it's blatant, it's embarrassing, and it's not getting better anytime soon. All right, so that's kind of our thoughts on the whole officiating. Love you, Larry. Controversy really. with Woody Dixon and Larry Scott. So let's run through those games. Oregon defeats Washington in overtime, thirty to twenty-seven. That was, we said going in, that was probably the game of the week. It did not disappoint. Very entertaining. Overtime game. Oregon shocks everyone in overtime, comes away with the victory. Yeah, and puts them in the driver's seat for the North. Uh, so it's a big hit. It's a hit for the for the conference because Colorado loses. Granted, we knew Colorado wasn't going to win on the table, but at that point, they're the only undefeated 19th ranked in the country. They, get, they lose to USC, and the conference... Most likely is now not going to have a, a team in the uh, the playoff. Chip Kelly gets his first victory at 37-7 to against Cal. UCLA defense stepped up at five turnovers, four of them in the second half. But Cal's just playing awful. That's how they lost the, to Arizona the week before was turnovers. Yeah, two pick sixes against Arizona. Cal's just not a good team. So if you, if you lose to Cal, you're just not a good team either. I mean, credit to Chip Kelly and the Bruins, their first win on the on the season, one and five. Chip, chip, chiroo. And then as Scott mentioned, Colorado loses uh, at USC, thirty-one to twenty. Outside of the second quarter, the game was pretty close, but USC just exploded in the second quarter, scored twenty-one unanswered points, and their defense really dominated. Did a really good job at containing. Uh, Montez, the quarterback for for Colorado. So it'll be interesting to see that USC defense coming into Utah uh, and facing uh, what we think is an improved Utah offense. As we go into this week's games, we like to predict the winners of each game on the season. Scott, 18 and 10. I'm 17 and 11. And Ryan finally broke double digits. Yes. He's at 12 and 16. I won three we all games. Went, we all went three and one last week. So the first game we have is Stanford's traveling to Arizona State. Stanford is a two-and-a-half-point favorite right now by Vegas. Scott, you're going first this week. Who do you got, the Trees or the Sun Devils? I'm going to go I'm gonna go with Stanford in this one. I think I think they bounce back after their bye week and a tough game against uh, the Utes. I think uh, I'm going to go with the Trees. I'm going to go Stanford as well. Bryce Love should be back for this game. He's had two weeks off now uh, of rest. He should be fresh. Hopefully he's he's passed that injury for them. So I got Stanford in this one. I, too, am picking Stanford to win. I think uh, as long as Bryce Love is relatively healthy, and he should be after getting a couple of weeks off, uh, I think they'll go down there and win. It'll be a close game, but I think they'll they'll come away with the win. So we have the trees across the board. Next game, Colorado coming out their tough loss to USC is traveling up to Seattle to face the Huskies. Washington a 16 and a half point favorite right now. Yeah, and that may not be that may not be enough. I I think Washington runs away with this. They're going to be upset. They're at home and Colorado's been exposed. So I'm going going to go with the dirty dirty Huskies. I got to go with the Huskies as well. Colorado up to the USC game. Hadn't played anyone with a winning record, 
and they go against USC and just did not look good. And Washington playing at home, coming off the Oregon game, I think they're going to be dangerous. So I got the Huskies. I hadn't watched uh, Colorado play other than the when they beat Nebraska earlier in the year. But I, I watched part of that game against SC last week, and they looked awful. So Huskies all the way in this one. The next game, Cal Bruins are going to Oregon State. This could be a very interesting game, kind of the game for the bottom of the north. Cal's a seven-point favorite in Corvallis. Ooh, this will be an ugly battle up in uh, up in Corvallis, but uh, the way Cal's playing, they just they're abysmal, and uh, it seems like each week it almost gets a little bit worse. I'm not sure what's going on with that program. I'm good. I'm gonna go. I'll take a flyer. I'm going with uh, the Beavs. I'm gonna go with the Beavers, and really just because Cal has not won a Pac-12 game on the road in what three years, so I I just can't pick them on the road. I, I'm gonna go with the Beavers. It really surprises me that Cal is favored on the road after what they just did at UCLA. But uh, I, too, am going to pick the Beavs. Our next game, Oregon traveling up to Pullman to face the Washington State Cougars. Washington State a one-point favorite as we're recording this. I'm kind of shocked by that. Scott, who do you got? This is uh, this will be a big one because um, game day for the first time ever is going to be up in uh, Pullman, and so the Washington uh, State flag can finally be it, home. It can finally fly at home, and that that place is going to be juiced. They're coming off a bye. Oregon just gets a huge emotional win, and uh, having to go on the road and kind of deal with that that's that's a tough that's a tough call. So I'm I'm going to go with Washington State on this. This should be a really good game. Like you said, game day up there. It's going to be a great atmosphere for those fans. I'm going to go with the Ducks. I think it's got the potential to be a pretty good game. I think uh, Washington State's obviously shown recently what they're capable of, of putting points on the board. And we all know that Oregon can put points on the board. So it might come down to who has the ball last. And I think, uh, but I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Oregon getting the win there. Arizona, a team we just saw here in Salt Lake, traveling to the Rose Bowl to take on the UCLA Bruins, who are coming off a big victory for them. UCLA, a seven-point favorite over the Wildcats. Scott? Yeah, I th- I think this one's pretty cut and dry. I think UCLA probably wins big. Um, Arizona, is they are just not good, and you're not going to have Tate. Even with Tate, I think that's a tough task. UCLA does seem to be getting a little bit better, so I'm going to go with the Bruins. Definitely agree with you. I think if Tate plays, it's, it's a different ball game, and a healthy Tate, for that matter. You don't really know what you have in Arizona at the quarterback spot, so I'm going to go. The Bruins get it. Chip Kelly his second win. Go with UCLA as well. All right, so now for the USC-Utah game. Utah coming in at a 6.5-point favorite over the Trojans. This should be a really good game. It seems like every year... No matter what team wins, it comes down to the wire, comes down to the last play. Last year, it was a failed two-point conversion. It was the difference in the game. Scott, who do you have and what's your score? I think uh, the Utes are favored, and I think they're favored for a reason. Uh, USC, you know, they're just uh, they're a good team, but they're, they're not great. Utah's playing, you know, as we've talked about, they're playing on a completely different level at the moment. 
You know, and, and USC's got got a number of injuries um, that they're battling. Porter Gustin, you know, kid from Utah, um, just broke his ankle, so he will not be playing. Um, and they they've got a, they've got a whole slew of injuries. So I think Utah wins. I'm going to go with a score of 31-24. Scott, I think you bring up a, a great point with Porter Gustin being injured. You know, it's USC. They're going to have you know four or five star guys behind the four and five star guys. Talent-wise, I don't think they're going to be dropping off a lot. But with him out, you're missing a captain on defense, that leadership that really holds that defense together. That being said, though, Utah's just clicking. They're looking really good. I have Utah winning. Very similar to you. I have them 30-24. to 24. Obviously, I think the defense is playing well, and I think they're playing well enough to hold USC slightly under their scoring average and i think utah's offense is going to continue to play well so i'm gonna go a little bit bigger spread than you guys i'm gonna go utah 34 usc 24 that will do it for this episode ryan where can people find you on twitter at drum and feather that's drum the letter n feather scott where can people find you on twitter Ah, they can find me at Uteman underscore forever. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. You can go to our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And you can always find us on your favorite podcatcher, either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're always there. Hopefully Utah gets a big win over USC to continue their goal of winning the Pac-12 South. And go Utes. Go Utes. See you at Rice Eccles, baby. We'll be till like that. Kayak. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Mika Tufau. Mika Tufua. Tufua. Jeez. <laughs> Look at me correcting Scott wow. on a name. This wow. Is, this is a bad night. <laughs> That's a mic drop for me. <laughs> I didn't know Hot Rod was still there. Or was it Markraft? <laughs> It was a blustery day, my good friend. The year was 1975. He would always remind me a subway in the hand is worth two in the pocket. <laughs> what? The? I don't know how we got from Caleb Brett playing both ways to, <laughs> to that. I thought he was going to say something like really smart and spot on. And so I just, I shut up. I let him say it and I regret it. I should have muted his microphone. We'll never learn our lesson here. <laughs> It's just like a baseball team. A baseball team, you know, let's use the Yankees, for example. You know, they they love the home run ball. It works for them for the regular season. They'll get a lot of wins. But in those crunch moments, in those high-pressure moments, you get too many strikeouts, the season's over. So, oh, back to you, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I'm deleting that. Kiss the ring as your way out. <laughs> hey, that payroll... Got you just as far as my little Braves. <laughs> I was angry one week, and it was it was deserved. And he just spent a week with his mother-in-law. <laughs> there it is. It continues. <laughs>